Hello everyone, Mia here. I have a very special episode of the Got Marketing podcast for you today. Recently, I hosted a panel discussion on Zoom with three other marketing experts called Creative Cohesive Campaigns. And what we've done is we've turned that live panel discussion into a podcast episode for you so that you can listen to it on the go. Now, just a word of warning, it is not the same audio quality that you're used to on the Got Marketing show. And someone did have their phone ring during the uh, live discussion. However, I urge you to look past that because the discussion was just so good and I know you're going to get a lot out of it. What we talk about over uh, the Creative Cohesive Campaigns event is the different types of marketing campaigns and which one you should run for your business. We unpack examples of small and large marketing campaigns and share what we think they did really well. Um, We talk a lot about paid social media advertising and there is just so many wisdom bombs. So settle in and um, enjoy the podcast recording of Creative Cohesive Campaigns. I would like to begin today by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather, and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Today, I am proudly working from Larrakia country right up in the Northern Territory. Thank you all for joining me, including my stellar lineup of panellists who are all mums which I think is pretty special because you don't have to go back too far to never hear of a panel that includes four mums. So extremely, extremely proud to share the virtual stage with Joyce Watts, who is a serial successful entrepreneur. Over the last 10 years, Joyce has started four successful businesses with two kids in tow, including Melbourne and regional Victoria's biggest travel site, Tot, Hot or Not, and digital marketing consultancy, BrightSmart. Katie Emsley is an insanely talented designer and photographer who I've had the pleasure of working with on and off for the last 12 years. Katie is the founder of You by Katie, and we at Campaign Del Mar trust Katie with our visual design. So that's how high esteem we hold her. Cassandra Theodore Cass. Um, is a marketer with over 10 years of experience, but her passion lies in paid advertising. And Cass is who we use for our paid social media ads. Um, Welcome, beautiful panelists. We have um, such a big lineup of questions and discussions and campaign case studies to unpack over the last hour and 15 minutes. Um, So settle in and we'll get started. So campaigns, my favorite thing in the whole world, have many moving parts. And the essential components of a marketing campaign are the big idea, the creative strategy or hook, like what is the campaign? And then from there, you need your campaign messaging, campaign visuals, and your channels of distribution. And that's why I've invited these panelists who are experts in those areas to talk about creative cohesive campaigns with us today. So first question to the whole uh, group, 
because this is something that keeps coming back over and over. What exactly is a marketing campaign? Because let's be honest, many definitions suck or um, there is a lot of ambiguity about exactly what is a marketing campaign. So I'd love for you to share in your words um, what it is and why it's so important for small business owners specifically to run marketing campaigns. So over to you, Joyce. Okay. Um, so when I was thinking about this question, um, I thought that basically I, marketing campaigns are broad and for me, digital. So broad online uh, marketing efforts that uh, revolve around a specific goal. They're different to advertising campaigns. Quite often advertising campaigns are a subset of a broader marketing campaign. And the reason small businesses need to use them is because never before have small businesses been able to access the same kind of platforms and tools that big businesses um, are using at the same time. So for instance, it used to be the case that you had to be a big business to afford a TV ad or a billboard. And now we have Facebook and Instagram and all those other different online marketing channels and advertising channels that people like me who work from home can use the same as Nike or in this case, Barilla, which we'll talk about later. Love that. That's so true. And also I've noticed that traditionally to be, even on a TV campaign, you needed these expensive cameras and incredible lighting. And now there seems to be a trend towards TV advertising resembling social media and people are shooting full length television commercials on their iPhones, which makes it even more accessible to small businesses. Love that answer. Thanks, Joyce. What about you, Cass? So when I was thinking about this, I guess the first word that I came that came to my mind was strategic. I think that a marketing campaign is a small strategic plan that a business will use for an area or a time within the business. Um, so it could be seasonal, it could be Christmas, for example. And I think a lot of businesses do start with Christmas where they realize this is, I mean, over my head here and I need to put it, put pen to paper and put something together. I think it's extremely important for small businesses because trying to plan long-term can be really overwhelming. So when you break it down to a campaign, you can really focus on one set goal or moment in time and just ensure things run smoothly. Yes, that's right. Campaigns work so well because they focus on one objective at a time. There's a um, Indonesian proverb that says that if you, the way to solve a really big problem is to chop it into small problems. And that's exactly what campaigns help you do, which is focus on the biggest priority right now before moving on to the next one. So great. Katie? So mine, Cass, was uh, similar to yours in terms of uh, you kind of mentioned how campaigns are accessible in that it takes something that's overwhelming and points all of your focus into one area for a specific amount of time. And all of you on here, I'm assuming are business owners, and you have so many things to worry about and you're doing so many things. But with a campaign, you're able to laser focus on a strategic objective and have maximum impact for a short amount of time. And so in terms of how uh, that benefits uh, business owners is obviously like you're able to focus on one thing for a little bit of time and have a, a great return on that. Um, campaigns, in, in that regard, campaigns are also sustainable. They help you build a sustainable business because it's short sprints of activity instead of just 
over and over and over doing little bits, it's a short burst of activity and campaigns are disruptive. Um, we'll talk about this more in terms of uh, the visual strategy of a campaign, but campaigns are designed to be disruptive intentionally and creative. So they're a lot of fun and they're very effective. <laughs> Very effective. That's exactly right. Like I think of campaigns as the opposite to always on marketing. And there is absolutely a, a place for always on marketing. Of course, we use that. But just like the name suggests, always on marketing is exhausting. And it's really hard to maintain that pace. Whereas like you said, Katie, those short bursts of activity allow you to go really hard for a time and then pull back and recharge. So I hope that that um, for everyone in the audience, clears up exactly what we believe marketing campaigns are. Okay, so there are many different types of marketing campaigns as we've been sharing over the last few weeks um, on Campaign Del Mar's channels. Um, for example, there's a brand awareness campaign or a lead generation campaign, conversion campaign or social media campaign, influencer marketing campaign. How do brands know where to start, Cass? Like, how do you go about deciding what type of campaign you're going to run? Okay, so often when I have this come up with clients, the first thing I'll ask them is, what is the current goal? Where are we trying to go? So if you're a new business and the goal is, and you're a service-based business, the goal is, well, I need, I need clients. Then the first thing you need to think about is lead generation. So mm -hmm. often you think it's overwhelming, but you actually already have the answer. Oh, absolutely. And like, I think it comes back to the fact that, yes, we all want to make sales. That is the end goal. However, we also know we can't convert a cold audience, right? And so we need to take them on that journey. And so if we don't have an existing audience, we need to build that first. And then we need to nurture that audience through a lead generation campaign or a lead nurturing campaign. And then we need to run a conversion campaign to our warm audience. But exactly. going out there and saying, hey, I'm Mia, please buy my ship, isn't going to get the job done. Sadly, very sadly. Exactly. And yeah. I always say that don't give me the answer to make sales or to make profits because that's a consequence that, yes, it's great, but it shouldn't be, it's not the immediate goal. That makes sense. That's right. Yeah. I also think you really need to play to your strengths as well. So if you are have an, a, a great social media presence, then maybe you can consider running a social media specific campaign. Um, if you have relationships with influencers or you've worked with influencers before, then maybe, you know, go all in on an influencer campaign. Personally, I like not to put all of my eggs into one basket, especially with the state of social media in 2022. And I like an omni-channel approach, but it, I think the most important thing to take away with campaigns is that they should be fit for purpose. Your brand, your customers, your skills. Yeah, exactly. All right, Joyce, once we have an idea of what kind of campaign we wanna run, how should brands get started with marketing campaigns? Um, I think Cass has already started to touch on this, which is have a framework of how you want your campaign to run. So you've already picked an objective, whether that be lead generation or whether that be conversion and so forth. Um, have a budget. This is very, very important. Have a cap on how much you want to spend. Whether And if you are the person working on the campaign, budget your time. Your time is not free. Your work is not free. 
So when you set a budget, budget for your own time and how much that costs you and your business as well. And then also think about a time frame. So um, I can run campaigns as short as two weeks. I can run campaigns as, as long as 12 weeks. So that obviously depends on what you're trying to do with your campaign. I'll give you an example. I'm in the middle of a Father's Day campaign at the moment. For those of you who don't know, Father's Day is coming up in the first Sunday of September. So we know that Father's Day comes up every year. So we already have a kind of an evergreen campaign plan in mind. And we start executing in July. So we know it's coming up, it's not gonna change. July, we start planning out our content. We think about how we're going to upgrade our content and we start pitching to our direct advertisers. Then in August, we start implementing. So for the four weeks leading up to Father's Day, you're gonna hear a lot of Father's Day from us. And then when Father's Day is done, we turn that off. And so for us, we know what that time frame is. Um, the other, I, and that's also an example of how we reverse engineer our campaign. So our goal is we want to sell lots of stuff for Father's Day, or we want our uh, readers to buy lots of things from our advertisers on Father's Day. When are people thinking about Father's Day? Probably not in July, but probably August. Mm -hmm. Four weeks before, you start talking about, oh God, is it Father's Day already? And then you tell them week after week after week, the week before is panic stations. And we know we've seen it every year. It all goes up like that. But if we had told them only a week before, they might've already bought something for those of them who are very organized. So we're very uh, understanding of our audience, which is mainly mums, uh, for their partners or for their own fathers. And uh, we work our timeframes according to that. So good. Do you know what I love about what you said is that you can reuse your campaigns, that you've got this sort of evergreen structure and you can dust it off, tweak it and refine it and, and roll it out again. Okay, so follow-up question, Joyce, because we get this all the time, which is that I completely agree that you need a budget. How does the small business owner go about setting a budget for their campaign? Can you share any insights? Okay, uh, so for my business, and I can really only speak to my business, uh, we focus a lot of organic um, tra um, traffic, which means our ads budget is actually a bit flexible. So we only, let's say Father's Day again, we only start paying an ads budget two weeks before Father's Day and only if our organic traffic is doing really well. If our organic traffic is tanking, we're like, we're not going to throw good money after bad at that point and we're probably not going to run an ad campaign at all. So that's very dependent. How you set your budget, gosh. Um, well, again, don't discount your own time. Think about if you weren't working on this campaign, how much would you be charging a client for your time? That's one way to set a budget for it. So with Father's Day, for example, again, I might say, right, I don't want to spend any more than 20 hours on this campaign because I know the return on investment is going to be X number of dollars. This is how much my hourly rate is. And then you make a calculation that way. It's a little bit of an art, a little bit of a science. No exact rules, very much dependent on your business. Completely agree. And also, I think you need to look at how much you spent last year, what the result was, and then look at what your objective is. If you're hoping to double the effectiveness of your campaign, but you're not willing to put some extra money into the campaign, then maybe there's a mismatch in objectives. And just to clarify, when we talk about campaign budget, we don't just mean paid advertising. We also mean hiring a great copywriter, hiring a graphic designer, visual artist to come up with the campaign identity, hiring 
um, you know, a web designer to build you a great landing page, all of that needs to be captured into your marketing budget. Um, Cass, I'm sure you get this question all the time. How do people set a ads budget for social media paid advertising? It depends on the campaign. So always on marketing, when, when you think that way, I usually try to recommend a monthly budget and say, look, this is your minimum. Um, if you want to, you know, you want to double here and double there, you need to have X amount per month. Um, but if, if it's a short burst campaign, then, you know, we can sort of say, all right, if we're going to hit hard, then, you know, we want to reach people, we might say, you know, 30, 40, $50 a day, depending on, on what the campaign is. Similar to what Joyce said, you know, when you hit hard, you kind of have to go a bit harder at the end. Yeah. And sometimes you just need to suck it and see, right? If we spent, you've got to try. And I wouldn't say as exactly as Joyce said, I wouldn't throw good money after bad. So start conservatively at $20, $30 a day. And then if it's going really well, go, okay, we're going to push this to $50 a day. So, you know, I say this all the time to campaign classroom students, please don't go. MIA in during your campaigns okay really important not to go MIA okay um Katie you did the visual design for our recent campaign which we called be like so I'm just going to flick over and show people just as a refresher what this incredible campaign looked like so um this was it the the be like we just we just came up with that name. By the way, I give all my campaigns a name. They are my children. So, um, so this was some of the creative. This is quite a big departure from Campaign Del Mar branding, Katie. Why in our infinite wisdom did we do this? Because we want to be disruptive. <laughs> the goal of campaigns um, is to not treat it uh, like business as usual. Um, I've given the example before of, of a friend. So I want you to imagine that you have a best friend. Uh, hopefully all of you do have <laughs> a real life best friend, but imagine that they're quite sporty and, you know, they're, they're in a season of their life where they wear blue jeans and t-shirts. Um, and that's kind of their aesthetic for now, white t-shirts, blue jeans, whatever it is. And you get a knock on your door one day and you answer it and they're in a ball gown, Right you are going to pay attention and you're going to be like, oh, hi, like what, this is unusual. What's going on? You know, it's still your friend, but they're now dressed in a ball gown and you're paying attention. It's disruptive. Something has caught your eye. Um, this is similar as well to, I don't know if any of you have been browsing the aisles at the store, um, but I am a packaging uh person like if something looks beautiful I will buy it I don't care what it actually is I will buy it it could taste horrible it could smell horrible but the packaging gets me every time and if you're looking at an in a grocery store at a bunch of aisles I mean a bunch of products and one is like neon animal print it's probably going to catch your eye right so it's the same idea with campaigns it's okay to depart from your uh, business as usual branding, um, because the point of it is to actually be disruptive and to draw attention. Exactly. So true. And also sometimes the style guide. So sometimes the campaign is not the, the visual guidelines, the brand style guide are not appropriate for the campaign. So I don't know if any of you on the call have seen my Gurus We Deserve campaign, but 
the Campaign Del Mar branding was not right for that. You know, um, this tropical Mediterranean sort of vibes, working from a beach is not what we were trying to do with the gurus we, we deserve, which was essentially an anti-marketing campaign. And mm. if I can get up Canva, I want to show you an example of a Mercedes-Benz campaign who um, wanted to appeal to families. And so they used a very playful font, which is absolutely not what you would expect. So as you can see, this is definitely not part of the Mercedes-Benz brand style guide font. But yeah. exactly as Katie says, you were like, whoa, what's this? This is not what I expect from a, a luxury car brand, um, but really eye-catching, right? And also very appealing. I I don't know if I would buy a Mercedes-Benz SUV, but um, it definitely caught my eye. Okay. Um, so now I've lost the notes. Oh, this is good. All right, Cass, you love social media ads, but why is a multi-channel approach to marketing campaigns best? I believe that you can achieve more with less. We see so many businesses killing themselves, especially on Instagram, posting a reel a day and wondering why their reach is down and they're not really getting anywhere. They're putting all their eggs into one basket. Whereas I feel if businesses were to spread their eggs out a little bit, they might see a much better return on investment. So, you know, investing in your website, using paid ads to take people to that website or to various social media channels, getting them to reach out with you, um, using platforms that work for your business. So I guess understanding the platforms that are available to you, maybe Pinterest is better suited to your business than YouTube or vice versa. Um, I, I kind of, I had this analogy in uni and it's really stuck with me where if you think about your business as a tree and you're feeding it at the roots, the website is the trunk and then everything else is the branches. So Instagram, Facebook, um, your podcast, they're all the, the branches that feed back into the trunk and to the roots where, which is you and your business. That has absolutely stuck with me to this day for many, many years. And I always sort of try to explain it to clients as well this way that you can't just focus on one platform and just, you know, pray for the best that eventually you're going to go viral. So true. I know it's a lot to ask, but as marketers, we need to be able to walk and chew gum. Um, unfortunately, that's just, that's the job as a marketer is that we can't just, you know, meet people on one borrowed channel, which is a social media. And exactly as you said, Cass, in 2022, the purchase decision is being made on the website. Even if I'm buying a luxury Mercedes-Benz, I will be going to that website and I will be very well informed before the before the, I go to a dealership and have a discussion with anyone. And I might even be very, you know, um, I guess sort of ready to purchase by the time I go in and speak to a single person because we are the most educated educate, uh, generation um, in the world of consumers. And so we need to prioritise that website for sure. Great. All right, so what we're going to do now is a bit of fun. Um, 
it's all very good to talk about campaigns, but I think that we learn by actually looking at campaigns and dissecting them and unpacking them. So we have four different campaign examples. I did promise you small business examples, but there was one that is from quite a large business that I had to share because um, there's a lot to unpack there. So, um, but all the others are small business, I promise. All right, so um, I'm gonna play you a little bit of a video and then we're gonna talk about it. Okay, okay, let's go. Parents, Hello. Can you please continue to play for eight, nine years so that I can play with my friends Yes. <laughs> Is that a promise? Thank you, promise. It's Sizu, right? If you could just take a seat here. Perfect, thank you so much. Coach? Wait. He knew my name. Um, sorry guys, I have a question. I have just informed my boss about your arrival and she's actually a huge fan. So she asked if it's possible to maybe take a selfie with you. Me or him? No, with you, of course. Okay. Okay, I'll let her know. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Talk about VIP. You're okay to get a little selfie, right? Stop You're starting to get a little, little VIP treatment. She's coming from like different countries. Hello. Yes. Hi, I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> can I take a picture with you? Yes. Shall I, shall I take a picture of you? Can you take a picture? Wow. Oh, thanks. Really nice. Oh, oh, wait a second, wait a second. Uh, oh my god. Like I told oh, you, this... yeah, yeah, I'm your biggest fan. Oh my god. Fan. This yeah. is, we need, to, we need to take yeah. a picture of this yeah. one, right? Poor guy. Oh like... Some big smile. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. What the? <laughs> Did you follow me? Come on. <laughs> I'm nervous for you. Follow me. What a surprise, huh? All the young people watching you playing finally against a worthy opponent. Here is your surprise. <laughs> Zizu. Hi, Mr. Federer. Nice to see you. Roger. Yeah. Hey. Oh. Nice to see you. Wow. Welcome to Switzerland. Oh my God, thank you. We have a promise, right? Yes. We got to play. Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. Oh. Let's do it. Oh my God, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Yes, have fun, okay? Yeah. yeah? All right. Playing nice, Zizu. I like it. Yeah. Too solid. So good. <laughs> Playing great, Zizu.
actually. Oh, so I, think I think we're saved by the pasta. <laughs> bon appetito. So what did we think, Joyce? Oh my God, did everyone else cry when they watched this? Yes. I love this campaign so much because it is not about the pasta. What Barilla are selling is an emotional connection to their brand. You might have noticed that their tagline at the end is a sign of love. And this is all that this is talking about. And what they've done to create that emotional connection is they've obviously used their influencer, who's Roger Federer. But Roger Federer has a real uh, reputation of being a nice guy. And so while we know that this has been organized and probably scripted to an extent, it seems like the kind of thing that he would do. He'd take time out of his day to go hit a ball with a kid who admires him. And I also think this is so smart because we know, like who is buying pasta? When they're going down the aisle, it is a commodity, right? It's either this pasta or that's pasta. Pasta is pasta. So you want to build an emotional connection. Why would I buy Cole's pasta and not Barilla pasta all the other way around? And it's when they know that their target market, who's buying pasta, it's women. It's probably women with children. And every mum wants to see their kid thrive. And every mum wants to see their dreams come true, see their kids' dreams come true. And I just thought, this is perfect. And that's why I'm like, if, how could you see that and not cry? You, imagine yourself in that position. If that was my kid and his hero came and took time out and played ball, I just think this is incredible. And I actually went down a whole Barilla rabbit hole after this. I thought these guys are nailing it in terms of building an emotional connection to a $2 packet of pasta. We're Amazing. talking about pasta here and we're all like tearing up. Like yeah. this is brand affinity plus plus. Like I feel differently about this brand having watched this. Yeah. And I think you absolutely nailed it with that, um, you know, overview, Joyce, that it was, you know, I look at the Super Bowl ads and they all get influencers and actors and, and that's all they've got. They just get this great, you know, actor and then they expect the actor is going to carry the entire campaign. Barilla, you know, they had this incredible get, which is Roger Federer, but then they they brought the campaign copywriting, the scripting, the whole storyline to the level of Roger Federer so that it was worthy of him. And I feel like they leveraged that influencer incredibly well. So while none of us on this call can afford Roger Federer, when we do look to use influencers, let's do them the justice of making sure that our campaign creative, our messaging, our copywriting is not just that, oh yeah, we've just got a famous person to, to do all the heavy lifting. The campaign strategy has to match that in equal value. Katie, what did you think? Oh my gosh, I cried as well. <laughs> um, I love how they, they really told a totally, like, like you guys have said, it wasn't about the pasta. They took on the storytelling approach and told it from the perspective of a little boy basically and and let you allowed you to build that connection and in terms of visual like the media media campaigns are secretly my favorite like the the video campaigns like your guru campaign Mia because they're so effective at um connecting with people emotionally um I did notice a few things in the in the uh because Barilla Pasta their branding is not you know it's red and blue it's there's nothing like crazy uh unique about it 
Um, but what I loved about it is even, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but on the signs, I believe most of them were red and blue. <laughs> like it had the, there were, there were hints of Barilla in there, um, which is what you want to do when you're building a campaign is you want to subtly include um, bits of your own branding into the campaign. And that may be uh, through little hints of, you know, like in the case of Barilla, the red and the blue, of you know, the holding up the signs and stuff like that. Um, but it was it was beautiful. I love how um, it drew on the parallels of, uh, you know, uh, Roger, Roger Federer being a master of um, tennis, if you will, but also, you know, him being a masterly, wonderful person. Um, and it was just it was beautiful. I loved it. So true. And like, I really love how subtly integrated the brand was like Barilla yeah. was right at the beginning. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, they were sitting down and there were plates with pasta and then it was right at the end as well without having to sort of jam it down your throats because we need to like remember that at the end of the day we are trying to sell pasta here. So um, some really good lessons there for brand integration as well. Um, Cass, what were your thoughts? I just thought this is storytelling at its absolute peak and I loved it. Um you know, emotionally, and it was hilarious as well at the same time. Um, they did a really good job, a really good job on that campaign. Yeah. So this is actually a series that Barilla are doing, which um, is also a really great lesson. There was uh, an episode called The Party, and then there was another one called Flatmates, and they follow a similar sort of storytelling approach. Um, they don't feature, uh, one of them features Roger Federer, the other one doesn't. But I also just wanted to show how absolutely genius Barilla is with their channel strategy. So as I mentioned right at the beginning of, um, of today, you first you need your campaign idea and your messaging. But then once you've got those things, you need to think about what are the best channels you know, to get your message across. And um, Barilla uses YouTube and Spotify, which are two, I guess, interesting choices for a fast-moving consumer goods brand. And I know this because I spent 11 years working for fast-moving consumer goods. Um, and so they use YouTube, why? So that they can um, have cooking videos as well as their campaign films. And that's really what that Roger Federer, um, the promise was. It was it was a film. It was like borderline entertainment. Like I, I enjoyed watching that, even though it was a piece of advertising. And then they have been really clever and um, used Spotify to create playlists based on how long you should cook each of their pastas. So there's a, you know, mixtape spaghetti that goes for nine minutes, which is exactly how long it takes for you to, um, to boil your spaghetti. So they're really thinking outside the box, not just with the campaign idea, but also with the channel strategy. Any other comments from the panel there before we move on to our next example? No? Well, good. All right. So Joyce, you're going to help me unpack this particular campaign. Let's go. Camel toe. Noun. The cleavage between the toes of a large ungulate. Slang for that thing where the seam of your leggings gets a little too friendly. We're over camel toe and VPL. And swamp crotch. And bouncing out of your bra. And wow. Everyone knows you're wearing a thong today because your leggings are fully see-through. Shorts so flimsy they ride up with every step. Weak waistbands that flip, slip and dip with every burpee, mountain climber or trichinarsana. 
We're over polka dot, tie-dye, zebra leaf and galaxy print. Piles of seasonal hashtag must-haves and not a thing to wear. We've had it with live, laugh, love, you go girl, namaste, rise and grind, glib platitudes. Motivational quotes that only motivate you to roll your eyes. We want to run, jump, sweat and play with nothing in the way. We want to feel sucked in, not held back. We want sleek, sculpted and timeless. We want one set of kit that will last and last and last. We want engineered, road-tested, technically advanced innovation. We want no bullshit. We are LNDR. Loved it. What did you think, Joyce? It's very funny, I think. Um, because if you've ever bought cheap activewear, these are all problems that we have encountered. So there's that instant, aha, yes, that is a pain point for me in marketing speak. And then they address it. They say, how do we fix that pain point that you, you've been experiencing in a really punchy, um, straight to the point, but also funny and engaging way. So I really enjoy it. Um, I'd say the only criticism for me personally is because I'm not in the age group of those models. So they're all in their 20s. And I would have loved to have seen someone who was obviously older getting active um, with the rest of them. It's not, uh, and yeah, so maybe that doesn't go with their target market. Maybe they're a particularly young brand, but uh, knowing how, who is buying activewear at this point in time, it's basically women right up to about 50 is your prime market for activewear. So that would be my, probably my criticism about that campaign, but that has actually nothing to do with the actual execution of that campaign itself. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think that that's a really good um, observation of that. So LNDR, um, I just saw Janie's asking, what does it stand for? It's just the name of their, their brand. Um, I, they, they're born and bred in London. Um, so I, I'm not sure if it's pronounced Londoner or LNDR, or did she say that in the campaign actually? Yeah, LNDR, um, is a challenger brand to an industry that is just has a few small players, uh, Nike, Adidas, Puma, Under Armour, Lululemon. And um, you would think, so like, you know, small, really small brand launching into a market with absolute giants and launching with a bang off the back of that particular campaign. And I did some research and that campaign was really cheap to pull together. It is done in a studio with a green screen. Um, they used a freelance copywriter to write that incredible script. And then they just made sure that they had this really great music that went with the, the voiceover. But this was not millions and millions of dollars. And it's just a really good inspirational story about how a challenger brand in an industry can really punch above their weight with something really clever and creative and really insight driven. Like I go to Lorna Jane and I don't want the namaste you go girl rise and grind either and so I feel like they really read the room awesome um there's just a question for you Joyce from Helen what do you think of the kind of direct almost crass language the campaign used uh again I think they're talking to their target so assuming that their target is not is let's say 25 to 35 that's absolutely, oh no, probably 18, let's say 18 to 30, that's com completely on point. 
Um, but it's unclear, as I said, it would be, it seems a shame that they haven't tried to be more inclusive in terms of their age, but it may be just, we're only going after these people because everyone else is buying Lululemon. Any, mm. well, I don't know. Um, so I can't really speak to that, but uh, yeah, personally, I think it's on brand for them from the little I know of their brand, just based on that campaign. Yeah. I think that there was a bit of a missed opportunity there not to focus on that untapped market of, you know, 40 plus since Lululemon and Lorna Jane do skew younger that they, you know, maybe in terms of segmentation, they could have had more success with a, a slightly older demographic. I think that we also have to accept that um, early adopters tend to be a bit younger and then they spread to the sort of um, majority um, from there. But you want that kind of groundswell with the young Gen Z TikTok generation running with your product and giving it that cult status before um, you know, it spreads to, I guess, the masses. All right, Katie, you're going to unpack this one for me. And this is a little bit of insider trading because I am currently running the social media campaign for the Darwin Festival. So just as a bit of backstory, um, the Darwin Festival is our major arts, music, dance, theatre, cabaret festival of the year. It attracts 180,000 people to the Northern Territory each year. And as a result is one of the biggest tourism drivers for the Northern Territory government. And the Darwin Festival is a not-for-profit, but it is, it's funded by the Northern Territory government. So um, this year it's currently running. Um, there's one more week. <laughs> and um, um, they are being a not-for-profit and being um, government funded, we are making a lot with very, very little. We do not have the budget that WOMAD or Melbourne Fringe or um, Rising or Splendor in the Grass has, not, not one-tenth of their budget. So we need to do a lot with less. And so we're going to talk about this with Katie. But what's really interesting is that each year, Darwin Festival changes their seasonal brand. So this was 2019. This was 2021, 2020, we will not talk about. It is the year that everyone can just erase from their, their memory. And then this is our current branding for 2022. Um, and as you can see, this carries through. So um, Katie, what, why when budgets are so tight, should we be changing the seasonal brand each year? Great question. So you'd be surprised, um, but good and strategic design doesn't actually cost a lot um, because you, you're taking something that uh, if you do it strategically, obviously, it's like you, you pay for something on one end or the other, I find. So if you put the time into the strategy behind it, you save time on the other end. Also, refreshing the look of the festival each year, it happens every single year, right? So, so what is it that you are going to produce or do that's going to make it interesting for the next year? Um, lots of times, I'm sure people would come from previous years, but if you've got the exact same, people are always looking for a new experience. And if you've got the same exact graphic every single year, it's going to get very tired. Um, and people are going to start uh, they're not going to pay as much attention because it's not novel. It's not new. And as you saw from there, uh, the three different years, the side-by-side -side comparison, 
um, they're not drastically different. You know, it's not like they've, they've reinvented the entire wheel. They've taken something, the bright, vibrant colors, they've kept the logo, but they've adapted it in a way that keeps it interesting and will engage more people. So I love the strategy behind that. It's simple, but effective. Yeah. So um, an analogy that I use to discuss like campaigns versus your brand visual identity is that they are, they should be related. They're not the same. They're not brothers and sisters, but they're cousins. And so this is a really nice example of some cousins um, up on the up on the screen here. Okay, so um, uh, we are running television commercials in the Northern Territory because TV is so cheap in Darwin, um, really cheap, like $5,000 for a campaign, which is just insane. Um, we are running Facebook retargeting um, campaigns and um, we are on social media all the time. But there is also an incredible activation behind this. Like you cannot walk around Darwin at the moment and not see this this Darwin Festival. So we have transit media. There is a billboard not two minutes from my house, buses and, and billboards at the airport, in and out of the airport and the terminal. We have pop-up activations. This is a like boutique supermarket. There's a box office. We've got volunteers popping up at markets and at shopping centers. We have a collaboration with the distillery for our own gin. And um, we have these programs everywhere so what's going on here Katie like why are we pulling all of these levers simultaneously so the the what I love about it is like you can't basically you can't go anywhere without seeing it <laughs> um and it's the more the more that so visually the more that people see something it's subconscious but the more that you see it i think what was the statistic mia how many touch points it actually takes for a conversion it used to be seven um and you've shared now that it's more like 30 30 touch points that yeah. is incredible so basically anybody walking into darwin right now will it sounds like they'll have 30 touch points of this creative before they leave the airport <laughs> Um, but it's amazing because it's it's grassroots. You've got volunteers. You've got the city itself is involved in behind this. You're you're addressing so many different touch points across the entire uh, city, um, and that kind of activation is really impactful. And you know, like you said, they've they've got the um, what's so impactful to me is the volunteers. You know that are that are there. They're acting on behalf of the business, and that is so effective. Um, having somebody meet you, hand out flyers. Um, but yeah, I think it's having it, having it in so many places, um, is super, super effective because you're not going to miss it. You're going to know exactly when it is. Um, yeah. And you're not going to miss it. Yeah, exactly. It's those touch points is that, you know, with so much noise and, and just being bombarded with messages all the time, you need to remind and remind and remind. The other thing is, is that, um, and this is a really interesting business model because many of you on this call might be cohort based like me, you know, um, campaign classroom is three times a year and we need to get bums on seats those three times a year. Darwin Festival runs for three weeks a year. That is it. So they get one shot at this and they plan for 12 months for these three weeks. So if there was ever a time to throw everything in the kitchen sink at it, it is now. And you see how much effort they go to to make those three weeks a success. 
The other thing to really consider is that they have lots of target audiences. There's punk, there's rock, there's the teddy bears picnic. And so they need to appeal to a very wide audience, all now in Darwin with a few interstate visitors. Um, and so they need to appeal to, you know, um, the grey nomads who've come here in their caravan and a, at the local market and I want to chat to a volunteer with a physical program as well as needing to appeal to travellers at the airport. So it's about meeting people where they are. Yeah, for sure. Great. All right, um, Cass, let's talk about Enda because this has come up in the For the Love of Marketing Facebook group a few times with quite a few people sharing these Facebook ads as really good examples. So um, take us through this one. When I first saw these, this campaign, I thought this is, this is fantastic. I mean, who, when we think socks, we usually just think bonds straight away and it's a no brainer. So when I saw this campaign, I thought, wow, this is really engaging. And I had a good laugh. Um, images are very clean, minimal, but still attractive. Um, the copy on this is, is great. Like, you know, each, each of these three were, you know, you chuckle a little bit when you read them. And to me, I was sold when I, when I saw this. Um, but I guess we all do when we, we see an ad, we tend to click back to the company's profile. And when you do that, you're, you're met with something very different. So we've gone from a tone of voice, which is very playful and a bit cheeky to one that is very short and direct and a little bit inconsistent we've got here you know two posts that are about a sale so a clearance sale and one that is sort of real no call to action there um I almost feel like they're two different businesses <laughs> um and yeah I feel a bit a bit lost when I look at this second one that I had such a great first interaction with their ad and when I come back to their organic content I don't feel the same way let's be honest it's boring this these it's just boring this whole organic strategy is really a bit like oh meh and so um I think what you're saying is that it's so important to create that seamless journey where if the first touch point is the ad and then they click through and they go and the website is the most boring like it is so boring it is literally just an, a Shopify e-commerce store with almost zero personality I sort of feel a little bit like I'm lost like I'm, I'm is this the right brand I'm not sure that I I'm in the right spot so it's really important to use that multi-channel approach to complete the customer journey and make sure that it is cohesive that's what we're here to discuss that, that your campaign messaging carries through right until your sales page. Exactly. Yeah. But brilliant ads. I think we can, <laughs> I think we can call this a, like a near miss. Amazing. All right. So I think that that is all of the campaigns that we had to unpack today. We're going to take some questions in a minute and we've got a full 15 minutes for questions, which is unheard of if you've ever been in a virtual room with me before, because I do tend to talk. Um, but I just wanted to, before we dive into your questions, if today has inspired you to create smarter marketing campaigns for your brand, 
I'd love to invite you to join Campaign Classroom, which starts on September 5, so just under three weeks away. Um, so Campaign Classroom is our signature program. Over 10 weeks, we will create an integrated marketing campaign together. Um, it is small group classes. I take a maximum of 20 people so that I can work with each of you to bring your campaign to life. During Campaign Classroom, you receive weekly live sessions with me and a small group of fellow marketers. And um, two out of our three panelists are also delivering workshops during the program. So Katie will be um, teaching you about visual identity and Cass will be um, helping you with your Facebook or Instagram ads during the program. Um, not only will you learn how to create better marketing campaigns from someone who's been running marketing campaigns for 21 years, but by the end of the program, you will have an integrated marketing campaign that's ready to launch. And so there's a real tangible outcome at the end of the program. Um, if you have a look for a little bonus in your inbox uh, today or tomorrow, uh, when we send around the recap video, which we're now going to have to stitch together because Zoom decided to uh, spontaneously close on me, but we will figure that out. There'll be a little bonus for you um, in your inbox and you can book a one-on-one -on -one chat with me to talk about whether the program is right for you. So I, um, we have about 35 star reviews for this program. So I only want people to join if it's the right fit. So we can have a little chat about whether that's, whether that's right for you. All right, so over to Emily to um, shoot some questions our way. All right, everyone loved those campaigns, by the way. Lots of praise for them, and uh, especially the Guru's campaign, Mia, that um, is a hit every time it's brought up. Uh, so the first question is from Anna. Do you think small Australian brands should participate in BFCM and why? So Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Which one of our panellists wants to handle that? Cass? Oh, Joyce, go Joyce. Oh, sorry, Cass can go first, but I, I do have a view on this one. No, you go first. You go first. Okay. Uh, the short answer is yes, because the statistics are about 35% of Australians shop like Friday, Cyber Monday. And we're not saying you are competing with, yes, you are competing in terms of noise with JB Hi-Fi and so forth. But if you have had consistent communication with your community, your community are frankly expecting a Black Friday, Cyber Monday offer from you. Um and you are just selling to that community. You may not necessarily find new customers at that point, but you're selling to your existing community um, during that period. Cass, do you oh. agree? I 100% agree. Your community expects something from you. Um, and you'll probably find that the couple of weeks before sales just drop because they're just, they're waiting to see what your offer is going to be. Um, and I, I think you definitely should. I wouldn't worry about the major competitors because the people that are going to shop major competitors are probably those ones that are thinking my Christmas shopping, I'm going to go in store and buy there. If you are an online e-commerce business, or even if you're a service-based business wanting to double into that, hundred percent get involved. Awesome. I agree. All right. Uh, question from Joe. If your brand is evolving, how can you make sure everything, sorry, make everything more seamless, i.e. the website, especially if you need to test if your marketing is working? Katie? Yes, I would love to answer this one, Joe. So if your brand is evolving, I'm assuming you're making small changes over time. 
And, you know, with uh, rebranding, you, I find a lot of businesses start with um, a low, uh, not a low budget, but, you know, you just get your logo, your, your basic colors together, and then you start building. I actually don't recommend you investing heavily in branding until you've been in business for at least over a year because you know the direction you actually want to go in. Um, and it sounds like you're at that point where you're looking to grow a little bit um, and evolve your brand with your business. Um, it's so important that, you know, like we saw with the example of uh, Edna, is that in Enda, Enda, the socks, your marketing can be fantastic, but what you speak is actually a reflection of your business. So just as Cass mentioned, the tree being your website, that should should influence the strategy of your marketing, not the other way around. So if you've got a, if you've got a campaign um, and you're trying to adapt your brand to a campaign, that's the wrong way to look at it. So you need to be making small changes to your brand and then extend those changes to your marketing, um, if that makes sense. So I my recommendation would be, um, you know, if you're saying if you want to test if your marketing is working, marketing and your brand are not the same thing. So, so the brand is who your business is, the personification of your, your business. Marketing is the communication between your business and your customers. So making sure that you, if, you're gonna, if your brand is evolving, your marketing will evolve with it. Um, but in the case of Enda, I would assume that maybe they, they hired an external agency or something um, and they shot it out of the park, but it's not going to convert because it, there's so much of a disconnect between this persona that this other person has created and who the brand actually is. Um, in that case, I think they would do well to adapt more, you know, in that direction, but it comes first from the, the trunk of the tree, which is, you know, your, your website or your brand, and then extends to the branches of marketing. Yeah, so good. And can I just make a comment there about, like, if your campaign is quite different, from your home base being your brand, like the gurus we deserve. It was so out there because it was an anti-marketing campaign, right? We don't have pink in our color palette. We use this crazy font. Um, but as the campaign like rolled out, it became more and more campaign Delmar. So the first touch point was the video, which you saw either on YouTube or social media. And then when you got to the landing page, we kind of tried to find a middle ground between gurus and campaign Delmar, which was hard because like I said, pink is not in our color palette, but it sort of was like a halfway point and Yoda, our website expert, knocked it out of the park. But then by the time you clicked through the, ca the campaign classroom sales page, you were in campaign Delmar land. So think of your campaign as it can go in phases and it can progress slowly home it can sort of walk home so good all right next question from Janie if you want to create a campaign and don't want to do it yourself who do you go to an ad agency a social media expert uh so many options how do you choose I I think it's going to be driven by what we talked about originally which is what is your objective so there are times where my campaigns have no social media element to it. And obviously it's not useful for me to be engaging a, a Facebook ad specialist or a social media manager. Um, 
Sometimes if you're, like Mia had mentioned, if it's a social-only campaign, then obviously you want to be engaging an expert in that channel. So it's going to be very much driven by your objectives. Unfortunately, there's no right single right answer for that question. Yeah. What I will say is that um, I used to run an agency, Janie, and, you know, brands like the Northern Territory Government would come to me for campaigns and it was $20,000. So this is why I feel so passionate about creating a, a program where I can help business owners access that top shelf agency work, but on a small business budget, because I know how um, polarizing it is and, and just how not inclusive it is. Like, you know, advertising agencies charge so much money for this work and it's just not accessible to small business owners. Yeah. I think we missed a question from Lily. What is the minimum spend you'd recommend for meta ads for small business, Cass? Um, so I guess if we're talking about within a calendar month, I would say within that month, you want to spend at least $1,000. Um, it's hard to, that's really, really general without knowing your objective and without knowing how many creatives you're running. It's, it's a hard question to answer, but that's just sort of like a blanket answer that I would give. It could be as low as 500 if you had less that you were putting out and your goals were maybe, you know, a bit smaller, um, but I would allocate at least $1,000 a month. So hard, isn't it, Cass? Everyone wants a number. Like we get this hard time, how many emails to send, how, like, you know, and it's really hard to, and of course the answer is depends, but I, I would agree that with brands spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a week on paid social media advertising, social media ads are not as cheap as we as they were five, 10 years ago. And now I think $1,000 is probably reasonable. Okay, question for Joyce. Um, are you able to share your top tips on making evergreen campaigns work for small businesses? Do they save time and money? Uh, the short answer is yes, they do save time and money because once you've created that process, you repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. So my business is basically all seasonal campaigns because I run on a uh, shopping calendar. So Father's Day, Mother's Day, Christmas, and also run from a school holiday calendar. So I know what school holidays are for the next five years. I know when I need to be running these campaigns. And every time we do it, we refine it. And then we have a debrief process with my team. So we go, what worked? What didn't work? What would we change? What would we keep the same? And that's just an ongoing process. It takes time. But uh, yeah, this, this is very much a systems and process question. Um, as soon as any time you do it, video it, write it down, start developing standard operating procedures so that anyone, including not you, can run these campaigns in future and you can go on holiday. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Love that. Love that. That's definitely going in the podcast. Okay, back to the ads questions. Um, one from Anna, for the ads budget, would you recommend a certain percentage of your revenue for ads? No. And I know some people do, um, but I, I honestly think less is more and you should start with less. If your revenue is already quite high and you begin ads with a high percentage of that, you never know what you could achieve with less. So I think you should work up. That's music to our ears, Cass. That sounds great. I'm probably the only person that says that. Oh, really? <laughs> Why? I just think that it can be very expensive very quickly. And 
you know, you should trust, you should trust your, your strategy as well. You don't have to put all your eggs into paid media. Yeah. I also really loved what Joyce said earlier, which is that if you're not getting organic traction, please don't throw good money after bad on ads. The ads aren't going to save your organic strategy. Sorry. Yeah. It's not like suddenly they're going to start working because you, you spent money on them. Cool. Another question on ads. They're very popular today. (laughs) Uh, So during quarter four, Q4, the cost of ads increased. So would it still be worthwhile to run a B2C lead generation ads campaign on Meta, on Meta ads, or wait until after Christmas? Yes, it would, but I would suggest that you are advertising from now. So you give the algorithm a lot, a lot of time to make sure they really know who your audience is. Cool. All right. Away from the ads, we'll give Cass a break. (laughs) All right. Is it realistic to do a build, lead and conversion campaign in a six to 12 month period? A small business typically needs to get going quickly. Thanks. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have back-to-back a brand awareness, lead generation and conversion campaign in a six week period. So I'm showing you exactly how the sausage is made, but we went out uh two weeks ago with the be like campaign that I showed you earlier which was all about education and awareness the insight that we received was that people were like oh you know is there just one type of campaign is there more then this is lead generation you all very graciously handed over your email addresses to come along today so thank you um and so we have now put you in our very soft non-guru funnel and um over the next two weeks we will be focusing very heavily on bums on seats for campaign classroom and but this is not our first rodeo kim we've been doing this for uh for a really long time but i think six to twelve months is um very very doable Generally, we say that um, you need 10 weeks to plan and launch your campaign, a minimum of 10 weeks. If your audience is split between Australia and the USA, what would be the main difference between these two markets to keep in mind? I think that your audience would be, you'd have to know your customer well more than just where they live. That wouldn't be the only factor I'd be looking at. I think that's a really hard, yeah, it's hard. Without knowing about your business, it's a really hard question to answer. I think it's a messaging question. Joyce, do you want to take a a go at that? I think that there's cultural, even though we all speak English, there is quite cultural differences between um, how, you know, the American consumer and the Australian consumer. Like, you know, the gurus that I talk about are very American, that real kind of masculine bro marketing, scale your business. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite aggressive. And in Australia, we're just like, chill it, dude. Like, yeah, I, I think tend to agree. Even if they're not male, it's a very personality-driven approach, and um, it's a stereotype. But Americans are used to being marketed to and are happy to be sold to in a much more forthright and straightforward way than Australians. Australians still get sold to; they just might not realize it as much because you just have to go with a slightly more uh, understated approach if it's about an audience question. Um, then obviously there's just differences with when you time your campaigns. Don't do it in a Thanksgiving weekend. Everyone is out. So Black Friday, Cyber Monday, if you're going to an American audience, you need to be telling them ages in advance because, first of all, they know when the dates are. But second of all, they're all eating turkey 
and they're half asleep when they're starting to shop for that time. So it's a very different approach um, to marketing Black Friday, say, for Australia. Yeah, absolutely. And then population size as well. So um, it's a very common launch strategy to do a live launch to like come along to my you know free masterclass um and you know we have 20 million people they have 200 million people so it's very different like you know we've had over 100 people register for today and there's about 41 of us on the call which by the way is amazing um but if your entire campaign hinges on a live launch and that's what you've got you and you're you're going after an Australian market. That's definitely something to keep in mind. Yeah, as a as a American uh, living in Australia, I won't answer this from a visual or design perspective. Um, I want to know if you're based in Australia because I'm not going to order something from America to ship to Australia because it costs a billion dollars. Um, and also season also, like Joyce was saying, but also the seasons of the year. I get so many ads to me that are summer ads um, and it's the middle of winter here. So it's really about um, having, it may be that you need to split your marketing into divisions and market to an American demographic and their times of year and to an Australian demographic with their seasonal times of year. That's purely, this is purely based on an American that lives in Australia. So take it with a grain of salt, but the more catered you can be to your audiences, the better. So either find the commonalities between the both or cater to them individually. Awesome, great. Well, if there's no more questions, I'm gonna let you out two minutes early, which by the way, is unheard of for me. <laughs> unheard of so I really really appreciate your time over the last hour and 15 minutes I hope that you got a lot out of today if you've got any follow-up questions feel free to send us an email support at campaigndelmar.com we are super friendly and um yeah thank you so much to the panelists Joyce Katie and Cass and thank you very much to my beloved Emily thank you you listened right up until the end So why not hit that subscribe button and keep the good marketing rolling? Podcast reviews are like warm hugs and they're also the best way to support a small business. You can connect with me, Mia Feilman, on Instagram or LinkedIn and feel free to send me a message. I'm super friendly.